Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. Our scripture this morning is from the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Then he, Jesus, said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, blessing God. We are entering into one of our last sermons in this series called Proof. We've been exploring the stories of the resurrected Jesus um, after he was resurrected and interacted with his disciples and his friends. And so we have this one and then we have next one and then we're done with the series. It's been a great series exploring um, all the reasons that our faith is reasonable, that we don't have a faith just based simply on a feeling or on a belief, but we have a faith based in fact, that there's evidence for it. Um, and today we actually hear a, a pretty interesting passage, and you may have recognized it. We heard a little bit um, of it a couple of weeks ago. There was some overlap. Um, but Jesus spent some time in the scripture with his friends, telling them about himself, and he tells them a story. And stories are really great, um, and they're really powerful. They, and they tell us uh, a lot about ourselves, our identity. And I actually had a great experience um, this weekend. I went and got uh, pizza with Pope, with Todd Pope. Um, and it was a great time. It was just me and him. We went to Vitelli's in Clinton, which was the best pizza I've ever had. So go to Vitelli's. Um, but we just shared stories back and forth. We just told each other about our past. We talked about our parents. And, and it was a great time to tell stories. And that's a really powerful thing to build friendship. Um, and it's a powerful thing to uh, know our identity through our stories. And we actually hear Jesus telling a story. And this is what happens. This is what we read in Luke chapter 24. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their mind to understand the scriptures. So Jesus is saying here, as he's kind of, um, this is one of the last conversations he has with his friends. And he says, look, guys, I told you this already, that everything that's written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. And what Jesus is referencing here is he's referencing um, the Old Testament. They didn't call it the Old Testament. They just called it the scriptures because it was their Bible. Um, but what he's referencing is the entirety of the Bible. There were three sections of it, the law of Moses, the prophets, and then a section called the writings that started out with the book of Psalms. So he's really saying the whole of scripture 
talks about me. And I told you this, that everything written about me must be fulfilled. And then he spends time just opening up their minds to the scriptures, to the story. So what I want to do this morning is I want to do the same thing. We're going to spend some time just looking at the story of the Old Testament, what the Old Testament tells us about ourselves and what it tells us about Jesus. Because as you know, Jesus is not, the, the name Jesus is not in the Old Testament. Um, it's, it's hard to find him there. But what we see is we see that there are lots of these kinds of predictions and themes God reveals himself slowly to the Israelites, and we begin to get a pretty clear picture of what um, the Messiah is going to be like. And then Jesus, of course, fulfills every single one of those. So I just want you guys to buckle in. Um, we don't have, it's not going to be too long. We don't have too long, but I just want you to buckle in because we're going to do an overview of the whole Old Testament. But I promise it won't be too much. There's going to be a lot of scripture, but we're going to get through it because really there's just one major theme in the Old Testament. There's just one. That's it. So let's start at the beginning of the story. In Genesis chapter 1, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. This is the first chapter of the first book of the Bible. There's um, a long um, introduction to the Bible about how God created the world and how he um, cultivated life out of the ground, and it's really a beautiful poem. Um, and then he, after he creates uh, the spiritual beings the sky and, and the stars in heaven, uh, the moon and the sun, and then he creates the earth and he brings up all the vegetation and all the animals, then he makes humans. And this is what he says to them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. So God creates humans. And we know from chapter two that he puts them in a garden. And this is the garden of Eden. This is what we call the garden of Eden. And the idea of this garden of Eden um, it was a, a place, a garden that God put the first humans in. And we also know later in scripture, it tells us that it's on top of a mountain from Isaiah. We know that it's on top of a mountain. So it's this idea that there's this remote place that's on top of a mountain close to the skies, which is kind of where they understood God inhabited the skies, um, close to the skies, close to God's space. And there was a garden there that the humans were placed and this was a place where heaven and earth overlapped. We know that Adam and Eve could actually hear God walking in the garden. So we know that God and humans kind of coexisted in this garden. And so we can kind of assume um, that this was a place where spiritual beings and human beings could kind of coexist. Because there's also the snake that gets introduced, which is a spiritual being um, in the story as well. It's the Satan. It's the enemy. And so we know that this is a place where spiritual beings and human beings can, can interact with one another. And so this is where heaven and earth meet. This is the place where heaven and earth are overlapped. And what God does is that he puts these humans in this garden, and then he tells them to have authority, have dominion, which is kind of negative, sounds negative to us, but it's really have authority. You are responsible for the earth. You are responsible for the ground. You are responsible for it. So take authority, subdue the earth. And again, this sounds a little bit negative, but it's not negative because, you know, as any farmer will tell you, if you just let crops grow naturally on their own, you don't get a great yield. But if you create lines in the ground and you put the seed exactly where it needs to go next to the same kind of seed, you put fertilizer on it, you water it, then you get a great yield, right? That's the idea that you kind of cultivate the ground and you allow it to flourish and to grow. So God gives them authority and he says, I'm going to be your God. 
You're going to rule on my behalf. You're going to rule the way that I want to rule. And here, take the earth, have authority over it, and take care of it. We, of course, know this doesn't last very long. Because as we know, continuing on in the story, that the Satan, the enemy, comes and he tempts the humans. And he tempts them with the knowledge of good and evil. He says, hey, why don't you decide for yourself what's right and wrong? Why don't you decide for yourself how to rule the earth? And of course, the humans, they take the temptation and they eat the fruit and they receive knowledge. And then there's a horrible, horrible disaster that happens. And in Genesis 3, God comes and he looks for the humans. He finds them. Um, They explain to him what happened. Uh, They blame each other and they blame the snake. And then he lists out consequences. And he says, because of what you've done, because you have decided for yourself what's right and wrong, here's what's going to happen. And it's funny because in that list of things that had the consequences, he never says, I will do anything. There's actually only one place where he says, I will. The rest of them are just consequences. Because you have done this, then he says to the woman, you're going to have pain and childbearing. And you're going to desire your husband. Your husband's going to rule over you. He's going to, um, and he kind of essentially says that men are kind of trash and we like don't rule very well, right? So he kind of subverts the woman under the man. And then to the man, he says, because you have done this, you're going to have, you're going to have to work hard. You're going to have to work hard for your food. By the sweat of your brow, you're going to, you're going to get the, the fruit of the ground and it's going to, it's going to fight against you. So there's all these consequences, but then God says, says something. He says, I will do something. In the midst of all these consequences, there's one statement where he says, I will do something. And this is what it says. I will put enmity between you. That is, he's talking to the snake at this point. The snake or the Satan, the enemy, the devil, the, the spiritual evil, and the woman between your offspring, which is a plural word, your offspring, and hers which is a plural as well. So between the spiritual evil, all the the spiritual demons and the evil spirits in the world, I will put enmity and I will put dispute between you and the humans. Okay, that's what he's saying here. And then he switches from plural to singular. He, a single person, he will strike your head and you will strike his, single, heel. So God says, out of all this evil and tension that's going to happen between the sons of the the Satan and the sons and daughters of the woman, there's going to be enmity and dispute and tension between you. But there's going to be one person that comes along that's actually going to strike, crush the head of the evil one, but will also be bitten and struck by the evil one. Sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? This is the third chapter of the first book of the Bible. This story is incredibly old. It's incredibly old. So from early on in the way in humans and the way that we thought about and talked about our world, this was the way that we thought about it. And there was a promise embedded in this that although there's going to be evil in the world and although there's going to be pain in the world, there's going to be somebody that comes then frees us from that evil and frees us from that pain. Somebody's coming. And as we continue on in the Old Testament, we hear lots of stories, and I'm sure you recognize many of the stories from uh, Sunday school or from other sermons. But we move on and we hear the story of Noah. And we think, ah, is Noah the snake crusher? Is Noah going to be the one? And we find out Noah definitely is not the one. 
After he gets saved, he gets drunk, and then there's a weirdness in the tent with his sons, and we don't really know what's going on there. But he's definitely not the guy. He messes up. Then we hear about a guy named Abraham, and God gives Abraham a promise, and we think, hey, maybe Abraham is the snake crusher. Abraham totally fails. He's unfaithful. He is whine. He's a whiner. He does. He trusted himself more than he should. And Abraham's definitely not the guy. He really only succeeded once. He was really only faithful one time in the story. And we think, okay, Abraham is definitely not it. Then we move on and we hear about Moses and we think, ah, Moses, the Israelites are enslaved. He's going to save them out of it. Maybe he's the snake crusher. Moses, he's terrible too. He's like, he, he lies. He's a whiner. He disobeys God. It's not good. Moses is not the guy. As we move on through the Old Testament, we hear the stories of the judges and the judges are horrible people. Then we hear stories about the kings and we think, ah, maybe King Saul. Maybe Saul's the one who's going to be the snake crusher. He does terrible things. He's disobedient. We get to King David. Ah, maybe King David. Maybe he's the snake crusher. He does terrible things too. He's definitely not the snake crusher. And we move on through the Old Testament and we realize none of these people are the snake crusher. None of these people do it. None of these people are truly obedient to God. They've still decide for themselves what's right and wrong. They don't quite obey God as much as they should. Later in Deuteronomy, which is toward the end of of Moses' life, Moses gives this promise to the people of God. He says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people, and you shall heed such a prophet. Okay, somebody's coming. Somebody's coming. But so far in the story... All the people that we see in the Old Testament, they're definitely not it. And in fact, the Old Testament, there are no heroes in it. God's the only hero. Everyone else is horrible. Everyone else is terrible. And as we read through the Old Testament, this is what we're faced with. That all these horrible things that people do, we ourselves do. We trust in our own wisdom. We trust in our own intelligence and our own strength. And we're faced and we're confronted with the fact that None of these people are the snake crusher. None of these people are the ones who can defeat evil. And I'm definitely not the one to do it either. We realize that we are not the ones either. Jesus goes on. We'll fast forward back to Jesus. He says this. So he, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah, the snake crusher, is to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations from the beginning of Jerusalem. What he's referencing here is that later in the Israelites' life, as they were realizing that these, all these heroes that they thought they had were not heroes at all, but were actually horrible people. They were not good. Um, God began to speak to some of the prophets. And he began to give them promises and oracles about this person that's going to come. And the, one of the major ones is in Isaiah chapters 52 and 53. And Isaiah gives us some very specific things about what this Messiah, what the snake crusher is going to be like. And we're not going to go through the whole thing because it's literally two whole chapters. But I'm just going to give you one verse to kind of show you what Isaiah says or what God says through Isaiah. This is what God says. Out of his anguish, that is the servant, the, the snake crusher, he shall see light. He shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. So not only is this snake crusher going to come and is going to defeat evil, but also 
by being crushed by sin, by suffering under sin, he's going to make all people righteous. By being crushed by sin, by the iniquities of the people, he's going to free the people from their sin. He shall make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. This sounds a lot like Genesis 3, doesn't it? You'll crush the serpent, but you'll also be bitten by it, right? So this Messiah, this anointed one, this one who's coming, this snake crusher is going to be crushed under the weight of sin, but by being crushed by sin, he's actually going to free all people from their sin. This is the story of the Old Testament. We get to the end of the Old Testament and we think, nobody has fit this bill. Nobody suffered like this. Nobody has made many righteous. Let's fast forward back to Jesus. Jesus says, you are witnesses to these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Jesus says, you've seen me do this. All this promise, all these passages, all this hope, all these predictions, they're me. You've witnessed them. You've seen them happen. And so I'm going to give you what my father promised. And what God promised is this. This is from the Old, Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, chapter 31. He said this, um, But this covenant that I will make with you, the house of Israel, after those days, says the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another, or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive them their iniquity and remember their sins no more. God promises through Jeremiah and also through Ezekiel that he's going to give people something. He's going to forgive their sins and then he's going to give them the law on their heart. And we know in Ezekiel that this, this is called the presence of God. Ezekiel calls this the very presence of God himself. So God says, I'm going to take away your sin and I'm also going to write the law on your heart. I'm going to give you my personal presence so that no longer do you have to decide right and wrong for yourself, but you are actually going to be, you're, I'm going to speak to you directly. From the least of you to the greatest of you, I will speak to you directly. You will no longer need the law or people to tell you what's right and wrong, because I myself will dwell within you. And that's the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that next week. So there's a little teaser uh, for the sermon next week. So now this, this snake crusher is going to be crushed by sin, they are going to free us, free all people from sin, and then God is going to give people His very presence in order to tell them what is right and wrong so that we no longer have to tell each other what's right and wrong. We will be talked to by God Himself. Jesus goes on, Then He led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up His hands, He blessed them. And while He was blessing them, He withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped Him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, blessing God. Today is Ascension Sunday. I don't know if you knew that, but this is the story of the Ascension, where Jesus is taken up into heaven. And when I was growing up, I had no idea what this was about. I thought it was kind of weird. Um, but it wasn't until uh, the last few years that I realized that this is also to fulfill a prediction. 
You may or may not know it. It's from the book of Daniel chapter 7. This is a vision that Daniel's having. And this is what Daniel sees. As I watched in the night vision, my dream, it's like he's having a dream, I saw one like a human being coming with clouds of heaven. And he came to the ancient one, that's God, and was presented before him. And to him, the human one, was given dominion and glory and kingship. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. When in Daniel chapter 7, we have this image of somebody who looks like a human being being taken to God. And we don't see it in this passage, but he's actually, he sits next to God on the throne. That there's a human person sitting next to God on the throne. It is taken up into heaven. And Jesus, in his ascension, was taken up into heaven. And now he sits at the right hand of God. Now there's a human person sitting with God. And do you hear the Genesis 3 language? Our Genesis 1 language? He's given dominion. He's given rule and authority over the earth. And glory and kingship and his dominion is an everlasting dominion. You see, you and I, we fail miserably at ruling and and having responsibility the way that God wants us to. We are utter failures at listening to God. We are selfish. We uh, trust in our own wisdom and in our own strength. We choose to decide right and wrong for ourselves all the time. And as we read through the Old Testament, we're confronted with this fact. That as these people, all these Old Testament non-heroes, walk through their lives and they continually trust in their own strength, they trust in their own desires, they trust in themselves, we are confronted with the fact that we do that too. We are in need of a snake crusher. We need somebody to free us from our sin. And Jesus, by his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, fulfills all of these things. Now we looked at like eight, eight predictions. There are as many as 300 in the Old Testament. And we looked at just eight of them. And Jesus himself says that they, these people witnessed to this. And if you remember the last couple of weeks, we've talked about this eyewitness account. That these people, these disciples, these men and women who follow Jesus, they believed so strongly that Jesus fulfilled all of these things that, that, were, that were spoken of, that were predicted in the Old Testament. They believed so strongly that they were willing to go to the death for it. People don't go to the death for a lie. People don't die because of a lie. These disciples were so convinced that Jesus fulfilled every single one of these predictions that they went to the death for it. They witnessed Jesus doing these things. And you just think about it. One cross word from Jesus, one selfish act from Jesus, and he wouldn't be the son of God. He would be disqualified from being the snake crusher. But he was God himself. God sent his son who put on flesh to live for us. To be the kind of human that we all should be. Jesus did it for us. He did it for you. He lived and he died 
and he was resurrected and he was, and he was ascended back to God and sits on his throne for you. For your sake, he did that. God is obsessed with doing this for you, with saving you and resurrecting you and making you righteous. And then he gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can follow him and obey his very voice. We'll talk about that next week. But he's done it for you. He's done it for you and for me. Because here's the deal, guys. We have a faith that couldn't survive a misprediction. If there was just one misprediction, the whole deal would be off. The Old Testament is very clear about the snake crusher. That they follow God, they listen to God, they don't trust on their own understanding. They seek God in all things, they suffer for all people, and they make many righteous. And Jesus fulfilled that for you and for me. So the invitation this morning um, is to receive all those gifts. To receive it from God. Because God is giving it to you, and all you can say is yes or no. And if you say yes, then you receive the Holy Spirit and you're guided in your, within yourself. You are guided to follow God, and you are made righteous by Jesus, and you can be transformed. You can live a holy life in Jesus. And this is the gift of God for us. It's given to us. We just have to receive it.